Today, uh, on Wednesday nights, I've been doing, um, uh, what have I been doing on Wednesday? How to understand the Bible. And um, one of the things I talked about is, in, in the Bible, how we read the Bible. And there's three ways that we read the Bible. Any one of you can tell me how you read it, and it's going to fall into these three ways. You know, one of them is devotional. And, uh, you know, I remember growing up, I used to thought I was, I used to think that, you know, I had did my, I had did my, my, my duty my, as a Christian, you know, before the Lord when I opened up the daily bread. You remember the daily bread? You used to get a new one every month. And I used to read, you know, and, uh, and, and, and then the commentary, and then, yeah, I, I read. And then it got a little bit more challenging when the youth pastor said, you know, you've got to read at least five minutes a day. And, you know, at nighttime, I, I'd, uh, I'd be ready for bed, and then I'd realize, oh, no, I didn't do my five minutes a day. Did you ever make a, a promise like that to the Lord, five minutes a day? And then get up and, and struggle through five minutes, and, you know, and it seems like it was an hour, right, you know? But, but we'll do devotional reading where we'll just, we'll just you know, uh, pick a verse or, or, or we'll use a book. Um, and there are some good ones out there. But the challenge with devotional Bible study is a lot of times you don't get the, 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 the whole picture. You get one verse. And you need, to, you need to be very hopeful that that verse is kept in context or what was really said in the scriptures, you know, you're not really going to get a hold of. And I think that's where a lot of our cloudiness comes these days is because of how, how we've attacked the Bible, how we've read the Bible, and how we've learned. But there's that devotional Bible, and then there's, there's a topical study where we'll go in and we'll say, I want to, uh, I want to do a study on, on sin. Let's just say sin. And so you plug in sin and you get all the verses about sin, and, and they'll come out, you know, and uh, you think you're doing okay. But the problem, the challenge with topical study is that if you take a scripture from its context, you might be destroying that scripture, what that scripture really meant. For instance, you know, a lot of people put in sin and it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, God, right? The wages of sin is death, right? And you start looking at, you know, our our righteousness is as as a pile of filthy rags before the Lord with our sin. And, And then, you know, you're taking all... Three scriptures, you're taking them out of context and you're going to come out with a, a, a polluted gospel. That's why so many people, you know, believe that they're still sinners, just saved by grace because of, of topical type of preaching. And then, and then there's expository preaching, expository study, where you read a chapter, not a chapter, read a, the book, read the letter, okay? Especially, especially Paul's because you will gain so much of an, more of an understanding as you read an entire letter. As you read an entire letter. And just think, nowadays we communicate with, with Facebook and, and, and um, FaceTime, and so it's not like it was at one time where, where we used to sit down and we used to construct a letter, and we used to send a letter to our loved ones. You know? We haven't seen them. We write a letter, and sometimes it's a two, and it's a three, and it's a four-page letter. Can you imagine you receive a two or three or four page letter from your loved one, okay? And you just decide uh, to turn the pages over and just read the third page and one portion of it. You, won't, you, won't, you will never attack a letter that way. 
in order for you to, to find out what's really going on, to find out what's really being said, okay, you need to read the whole letter. And the whole letter gives explanation to those obscure verses that people p pull out and make doctrines from. And um, we're going we're gonna to give you some examples today. And if, if uh, it was the title of this message, I've given it the title, Right Smack in the Center of God's Will. Amen. We all want to be right smack in the center of God's will, right? Yeah. We want to know. And so first, first place we're going to look at is... Now, this is an obscure verse because in it, Jesus is like doing bullets, bullet, bullet teaching. He's going from one subject to another subject to another subject. And this is one of those, those bullets Jesus throws at people. And he says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father. Preachers have had fun with that one. They've had that fun with that one to prove every, any point they wanted to preach, uh, I, I, you know, to make. From, you need to be here on Sunday. This is God's will for you. Now, I believe that. I, I believe there's no, there's no bigger joy I get than being here. I can't wait to see you guys. I can't wait to be with you guys. You're my family. I, I love you. I really do. And is it because I'm a pastor or the, past, the pastor? I don't know. You know, but I don't want to put anybody on the spot here, but, but I, I say to myself, I can't wait to see Melissa. I, I can't wait to see Melissa. You know, I can't wait to hear one of Frank's lousy jokes. <laughs> Frank's not here with us today, but Phil Rizzuto is. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I, Vinny, man, you know, I'm like, I, I need to be up front. If I don't see him come in, I just need to... Wonderful, gee, what do you say, Mr. Wonderful? I, I need to, I, 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 I can't wait to see Vinny. You know, I can't wait to see Rick. I can't wait to see Brett. What's for breakfast tomorrow? What's for breakfast? <laughs> Rabbit. <laughs> Rabbit stew. I can't wait to see you beautiful faces in the morning. I, I just... I hope you guys are like that too. I just can't be with the, I can't wait to be with the family. Amen. Yeah. I, there's no better there's no better place I'd rather be. There's no there's no better people I'd rather be with. Amen. You know? Amen. Amen. So the will the will of the the will of boy they could have all kinds of hap, you know. You know the messages they make from that. But he that doeth the will of the Father, if you're not in his will. You're not going to enter the kingdom of God. So you better get in his will. You better do his will. Thank God I'm in his will. Amen. Everyone here today is in his will. Amen. Which is in heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Ooh, listen to this one. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name, haven't we not cast out devils? And in your name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Man, that's a hard word. Isn't that? That's a hard word. 
He that does my will. You would think that those things are, would be God's will. And I know there was a story in, uh, in Acts where people were, you know, looking to use the name of Jesus and, and uh, like it was magic. I'll tell you what, the name of Jesus will work. The name of Jesus will work. There's people that don't know him that use it, and it works. You know? But here, it's, it's a harsh word here. I never knew you. So what is this will of the Father, this will of God? Well, now we look at, we take this same topic, and we stay within it. And you look at John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. And then John chapter 6, verse 40. They said, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might do the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God. This is the work of my Father, that you believe on him who he has sent. Ah, that's the work of God. That's the will of God. John chapter 6, verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Bible makes it perfectly clear that the will of God is that we believe in Jesus Christ, that we believe in Jesus Christ, and that we have everlasting life. Amen? Amen? But what does believing in Jesus Christ mean? Now we're going to look at a portion of Scripture that I believe is taken out of context over and over and over again. And it's Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And we're going to find the will of the Father and what believing in Jesus Christ really means. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now, when you look at this scripture, okay, we're talking about the will of the Father, the will of God, believing in Jesus Christ, believing in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. So now you see this verse of scripture, but now it's telling us we have to. Paul is pleading with us. Paul is begging with us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Making ourselves holy and acceptable unto God, which is the only reasonable thing we can do. Imagine making ourselves acceptable and holy unto God, which is the only reasonable thing we can do. Right then and there, it should tell you that it's out of, it's, it, that's that that something is wrong with that verse. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now we're going to show you why you need to read letters, why you need to keep things in context, because now we're going to see what Paul really means by that verse. Okay? What is really meant there? And we're going to go back a few, a few chapters. We're going to go to chapter 9. Write these verses down. You know, look them up, see for yourselves. But in, in chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 24 and 26, this is what he says. Even for us, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, we are those he has called 
to experience his glory. So here, Paul is addressing both Jews and non-Jews, which is what he has been doing the whole entire book. How they're both guilty, one with the law, one without the law, you know? How they're both freely justified through faith in Jesus Christ. There seemed to be something going on at the Roman church between the Jews and the Gentiles. One group thought they were better than the other group. One group thought they were better because they were adhering to the law. One group thought they were better because they didn't need the law. You know, and, and, and you can see there's conflict here. So even for us, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, we are those he has called to experience his glory. Remember the prophecy God gave in Hosea. To those who were rejected and not my people, I will say to them, you are mine. And to those who were unloved, I will say, you are my darling. And in the place where they were told you are nobody, this will be the very place where they will be renamed children of the living God. Now, Paul is addressing the Jews about the Gentiles. Okay? Very important to understand this. This is what Paul is telling the Jews. All right, and as we keep going, Romans chapter 9, verse 30, 33. So then what does all this mean? Here's the irony. The non-Jewish people who weren't even pursuing righteousness were the ones who seized it. A perfect righteousness that is transferred by faith. Yet you guys, you Jews, yet Israel, even though pursuing a legal righteousness, did not attain it. And why was that? Because they did not pursue the path of faith, but insisted on pursuing righteousness by works, or righteousness by the law. As if it could be seized another way. They were offended by the means of, of obtaining it and stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, be careful. I am setting in Zion a stone that will cause people to stumble, a rock of offense that will make them fall. But believers in him will not experience shame. And we move to chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ, he's telling the Jews, is the end of the law for righteousness. And because of him, God has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe. He's talking to both people now. Do you understand this? Guys, they're as righteous as you are righteous. You are righteous as they are righteous. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, because of faith in Jesus Christ. He's trying to get them together. You're going to see this more and more, especially as you read the letter now after we, we're going over what we're going over. So we look at verse 10, uh, chapter 10 now, verse 12 and 13. So then faith eliminates the distinction between Jew and, and non-Jew, for he's the same Lord for all people. And he has enough treasures to lavish generously upon all who call on him. And it's true, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued and experience new life. So as you keep reading these chapters, you see where, Christ, where Paul is trying to create inequality. Not one group is better than the other. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. So then I ask you this question. Did God really push aside and reject his people? Absolutely not. For I myself am a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 6. And since it is by God's grace, it can't be a matter of your good works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift of grace, but earned by human effort. Verse 13, now I speak to you who are not Jewish, since I am an apostle to reach the non-Jewish people. 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 13. And I draw attention to this ministry as much as I can when I am among the Jews. 
For if their temporary rejection released the reconciling power of grace into the world, what will happen when Israel is reinstated and reconciled to God? It will unleash resurrection power throughout the whole world. This is Paul talking to the, to, the, to the Gentiles now. So don't be so arrogant as to believe that you are superior in, to the natural branches, branches. There's no reason to boast. Stop your boasting, for the new branches don't support the root. But you owe your life to the root that supports you. He's talking about Jesus. Since God didn't spare the natural branches that fell into unbelief, perhaps he won't spare you either. God is more than ready to graft back in the natural branches when they turn from clinging to their unbelief to embracing faith. For if God grafted you in, even though you were, you were taken from what is by nature a wild olive tree, how much more can he, be, can he reconnect the natural branches by inserting them back into their own cultivated olive tree? You who are not Jews were once rebels against God. But now, because of their disobedience, you have experienced God's tender mercies. For out of him, the sustainer of everything, came everything. And now everything finds fulfillment in him. May all praise and honor be given to him forever. Amen. So, you can see a little bit of what's going on. If you were to read the whole book of Romans as a letter, you can see it in its entirety. You know, how, how Paul was dealing with with Jews and Gentiles. And make no mistake about it. You know, even in that day, Gentiles thought they were, uh, Jews thought they were superior. They thought they were superior to the Jews. Uh, Jews thought they were superior to the Gentiles. Yeah. Even, you, you would think that, that, um, that Peter, with all this, this newfound Holy Spirit power and grace, you know, God wouldn't have had a, Brought that sheet down from heaven that that's, that that told him to, he told him to eat from it and and Peter said no no I've never I've never had put un, unclean things into my mouth Lord but then God had to tell him listen Paul, Paul what I call holy let no man call unholy why because God was getting ready to send Paul to Cornelius's house to preach the gospel so Paul so God was trying to let Peter know no no did I say Paul Peter Peter he was trying to let Peter know I call them holy. I call them holy. And you nor anybody else calls no man unholy that I call holy. So, so he's trying to sit. We're all the same. And even Peter, when he started, he started preaching about Jesus, you heard about Jesus. You heard about how good he is. You heard about how he healed all that came to him. You heard about how anointed he was. You heard about him. And before he could finish, what happened? Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and the whole household. They all began speaking in other tongues. They all, they all were born again. Peter didn't even finish his... His sermon. That tells him right there. God is the God of the Jews. God is the God of the Gentiles. There's no favorites. He works with them the same way he works with us. That's what the whole Council of Jerusalem was all about. And so this is what the book of Romans is about. Because they're still having that conflict. They're still having that conflict. And you can see that in some of, that, some of their wording. So now, here it is. Paul is trying to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. Together, through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. He talked about being united with Jesus Christ. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so now it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about faith in Jesus Christ. So now, in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul's going to turn it all on us? No. He's going to stay consistent 
with what he's been teaching. And so where it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, you see that word present? I'm imploring you. Would he see being imploring them for all the previous, mess, uh, previous chapters? That they would get together. Get their act together. Come together. Come together. So I'm imploring you guys to come together, right? By the mercies of God, by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. What does the word present mean? Present. Present is, I don't even know how to say it, paris demi. And it means to stand beside. To stand beside. The word is a compound word taken from two words. One of the words it's taken from means to stand. The other word it's taken from means to be alongside with. So together, it means to stand beside. So now when you look at what Paul has been doing, the whole book, and it comes to this, he's saying to them, listen now, I'm imploring the both of you, Jew and Gentile, to take your positions and stand alongside, stand together and stand with Jesus Christ. God's only living sacrifice, who is holy and acceptable before God, which is the only reasonable thing you can do. You can't do anything else before God. You can't present him anything else. There's no service you can do. There's no act you can do. There's, there's, no, there's no work that you can get involved in. So that scripture has been totally taken out of context, totally misused, and it's really saying stand alongside. We're supposed to stand alongside each other. We're supposed to be, you know, in communion with each other. We're supposed to be, you know, uplifting with each other, supportive of each other, as we stand alongside Jesus Christ, God's holy and living sacrifice. And when you read the book of Hebrews, it's totally in line with that. See, scriptures has to be supported with other scriptures, where it talks about, you know, Lo, it is, is written in the volume of the book that you, you are providing the sacrifice. You are providing the sacrifice. Not like the blood of bulls and of goats. This sacrifice, holy, righteous, and through this, this sacrifice, right, all will be perfected forever that are sanctified by this one sacrifice. So Paul is beseeching them. He's, he's, he's pleading with them. Guys, stop this bickering. Stop this fighting. Come together as one. Come together as one. Come together standing beside each other, standing beside the one, Jesus Christ. And be not conformed to this world. Now that word world there is aeon. It's age. What is he talking about there? He's, talking, he's been talking to the Jews, right, about law and legalism. When he's talking about age there, he's talking about this present system of law. Self, you know, righteousness by works, okay? So he's saying, don't be conformed to this, this age. And that's the same message he's had in all his books, all his writings. To Galatians, stand therefore in the freedom by which you, the liberty by which you've been made free and no longer be in, entangled to a yoke of bondage. Who bewitched you? Who bewitched you that you left your freedom in Christ and, 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 and went after righteousness by the law? It's the same message he's saying here. Don't be conformed to this age. 
All right? Embrace your new freedom. Embrace your, 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 your freedom in Christ and your freedom in grace and being led by the Holy Spirit. And become transformed by the renewing of your mind to these new truths. And as you become renewed in your mind, you're going to become transformed. And as you become transformed, transformed into what? Transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. The more you stand with each other, the more you stand beside Christ, the more you see as Jesus is, so am I in this world. The more you become renewed in your mind that I am complete, that I am perfect, that I am righteous, that I am holy, that I am unblameable because I've taken my position alongside Christ. That's how you prove God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. His good and acceptable and perfect will for each and every one of us is that each and every day we see more and more of Christ and we see more and more of ourselves. We believe more and more in what we're looking at and when we see Jesus and all his goodness and all his holiness and all his righteousness and all his blamelessness that we're looking at ourselves. And we encourage each other with that. We bless each other with that. That's his will. That we believe. And not only that we believe, but we will believe that we are. Amen? Amen. Amen? The Lord got me through. Thank you.